Welcome to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. The law doesn't really offer any solutions for women who are expecting children, women for women, or women who are in conditions of vulnerability. It doesn't offer any solution, any state government assistance, any adoption placement services, nothing other than abortion. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What We Can't Not Talk About. Today, we will once more discuss an extremely relevant issue, possibly the most important, which is life. And in particular, we will focus on its legal protection before birth. And we will try to understand what happened recently in Argentina, where the national legislature went far beyond exempting women from punishment for terminating their pregnancy. So to talk about this law and about some of its provisions, we have invited a true expert, Professor Ligia Castaldi from Ave Maria School of Law. Good morning, Professor. Good morning, Mariana. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for accepting our invitation. And let me briefly just two words about you. So Professor Ligia Castaldi is originally from Honduras, where she earned her JD. She holds an LLM in international law and the law of international organization from the University of Groningen and an LLM from Harvard Law School. And I said that Professor Castaldi, you're a true expert because your scholarship focuses precisely on prenatal rights in international human rights law, particularly in Latin America and the Caribbean. And you just published a book titled Abortion in Latin America and in the Caribbean. And also, just for audience to know, before joining Ave Maria School of Law, Professor Castaldi worked for several international and governmental human rights agencies including UNICEF's Regional Office for Latin America and the Caribbean, and the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. So after this introduction that makes us you know, understand how honored we are to have you talk to us about this law from an international perspective, first of all, I want to ask you, what was your reaction as an international law scholar to this new law approved by the Argentinian legislature? First of all, it's an honor for me, too, to be able to be on your show. And I've heard several episodes, and I've really liked it. So thank you for inviting me again. My first reaction, I guess, when I heard the Argentinian vote, the the Senate vote on the abortion law, was not one of surprise. So I, I thought, I mean, it was, I saw it coming. I think many factors changed since their last vote in 2018, when they actually rejected legalization of abortion. So I thought that I wasn't surprised by it, basically. I knew that, you know, I was, I was hoping it wouldn't end this way, right, that they would vote no on legalization, but it was not surprising because politics had been manipulated in such a way that it was pretty predictable. But so if you say that it's pretty predictable, can we tell our audience, like, very briefly, you know, what, what does this law permit now? What is the change? What changed in Argentina? Well, it was a very dramatic change. Before this law, Argentina only allowed abortion in cases where the life or health of the mother was gravely endangered by the continuing of the pregnancy. Or in cases of rape, there was one Supreme Court decision that expanded abortion to situations of rape. But even in those cases, it wasn't clear that the woman was necessarily entitled to an abortion on demand. She would have had to provide some proof, sometimes 
a criminal trigger, a criminal investigation in cases of rape. So it was not broad access. These were kind of limited exceptions to the criminal prohibition of abortion. This law, however, really expanded abortion access to pretty much not just the first trimester, but the first couple of weeks of the second trimester. So a woman can pretty much legally demand an abortion for the first 14 weeks of pregnancy and is also entitled to receive an abortion anytime during pregnancy for three reasons. So when her life or health is endangered for rape or for eugenic reasons throughout pregnancy. So it's right now it's the most liberal abortion law in Latin America. Sorry, Professor, you mentioned eugenic reasons. Could you explain what that means? Right. So eugenic abortion means when the child is, and the way I think they defined it, although the text of the law, the final text is yet to come out, is when the child has a disability that is incompatible with extrauterine life. So that usually means some genetic disability that gives the child a very short life expectancy immediately after birth. So a good example would be anencephaly, for instance, where a child suffers from anencephaly then the basically the child be, can be terminated in utero and that's considered the eugenic abortion so that they are not born alive because of their short life expectancy. But one thing you mentioned is you weren't shocked by this result. So you were expect like it's something that was predictable that this would have happened. As somebody who also studied abortion in, in an international and a comparative perspective, I'm wondering, like, weren't you surprised even by the fact that the introduction, at least, of the law labeled this as a right, as a right of women and not just as a as an exception again from being punished? That which law labeled it that well, way? Well, that this that... new law labeled um, starts by saying, you know, in the context of human rights, a woman has a right to have an abortion. So in a language that sounds a lot more like the one adopted by the U.S. kind of tradition rather than the Latin American and the European one. Yeah, that is a that is pretty unique in the whole region, in the Americas right now. The fact that many countries have exceptions for criminal punishment of abortion for life, health, rape, and even eugenic abortion, but they never label it as a right. In this case, they are labeling all the exceptions and the first trimester abortions as a right. This was the language in the bill. So I think it still remains to be seen whether that language will be used in the final act when it's published, because it could change by then. But that was the language in the bill. You're right about that. It was the language of rights, of abortion rights. And it also included actually language about educating children in public schools on abortion rights. Um, so educating children, telling them that there's, of course, nothing wrong with abortion and that abortion is a woman's or a girl's right, right? That something that she is a legal entitlement, right? So they were, they included some of that language in the bill too. So it remains to be seen whether that will stand constitutional tests, whether that will go through in the final and the published act, it remains to be seen. So as an international scholar that worked on prenatal uh, rights, and is there an international right to abortion as all the abortion advocates claim? No, I, w I would say there isn't. And there's only a handful of countries right now that refer to abortion as a constitutional right. 
notably the United States, of course, because of the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton, etc. It is considered a constitutional right here. France is another country that treats it as a constitutional right. In the rest of the world, however, abortion is still a crime to which non-punishable exceptions are allowed. That doesn't mean that in those situations there's a legal entitlement to abortion or that abortion is considered a right of girls and women to which no regulations can be imposed on. So the status of constitutional right or human right is really particular only to a few countries, but internationally we can't really speak of an international right to abortion. Just as the Geneva Declaration adopted and proposed by the U.S. and the U.N. General Assembly established, that declaration established that there is no international right to abortion. I understand that about 32 countries had subscribed to it, and it's open, and they opened it up for other countries to subscribe as well. And again, because you're an international legal scholar, I found out that Argentina made a specific reservation on the Convention on the Rights of the Child saying that for Argentina, a child means every human being from the moment of conception. And then also you mentioned in your book, the constitution of Argentina is another provision that was about the social security system that protects needy children and says from gestation through the end of elementary schooling. Or So how does that work? Can Argentina pass a law that is not constitutional in its own terms? Well, many Argentinian attorneys say that Argentina cannot do it. And that even the constitution, which has only an indirect reference to prenatal life, nevertheless has a reference, you know, that the constitution prohibits this law, this overbroad kind of law that would authorize abortion on demand. So many Argentinians say that it is unconstitutional. And I think legal challenges to this law can definitely be expected. Argentina has had pro-life legislation for a long time, historically. Their civil code still does, even though it was amended only a few years ago, and modern legislators included an acknowledgement of the child as protected from the moment of conception, as having a right to life from conception. So Argentina has had a a long pro-life tradition, but this was a very particular historical moment, which of course had a lot to do with COVID. President Alberto Fernandez, a leftist president right now in Argentina, has had so far an administration that many Argentinians refer to as disastrous. Their poverty rates have skyrocketed. Their child poverty rates have increased as well. So uh, during COVID, he didn't really offer anything else to mothers or to women other than abortion. The law doesn't really offer any solutions for women who are expecting children, women for women, or women who are in conditions of vulnerability. It doesn't offer any solution, any state government assistance, any adoption placement services, nothing other than abortion. So in a way, it was kind of a populist decision made by a leftist government during a very difficult political time where, of course, during COVID, no public gatherings are allowed, so no public debate of the law could actually take place, or at least very little of it. So this was kind of a momentous situation for the abortion advocates who seized at the moment to pass this bill, even though at this time the country certainly has other very important health-related concerns due to COVID and 
economic concerns related to the restrictions imposed by COVID and just the terrible state of the economy in Argentina. Yeah, I don't know how many people in our audience, but I figure probably many have read the letter that the poor women from the slums in Argentina wrote for the approval of this law addressing Pope Francis and the fact that they do not demand that. And since the criticism of people that, you know, advocate for a right to abortion is that, you know, they speak of women that are jailed for having had an abortion and, you know, punished by the criminal law because abortion is a crime. Is that the case? Do we have numbers of women that are in prison because they had an abortion? No, and no Latin American country actually reports these numbers. I think only a few, and they're usually less than a dozen. So no, the pro-abortion movement was never able to demonstrate that the country was prosecuting women for abortion. And the reason is that the penalty for abortion was so low that usually those penalties can be commuted into non-jail penalties. So according to prosecutorial discretion, so prosecutors are allowed to waive the jail penalty or substitute it for a different penalty, and they almost always do. So no, they couldn't actually come up with numbers of, you know, women who are in jail for abortion. Usually abortion bans in Latin America, and I think we've talked about this privately before, usually affect abortion providers rather than women. So they act usually as a deterrent on mothers who want to abort their children, and they're most often enforced on abortion providers, making their practice illegal, the practice of abortion illegal, and enabling law enforcement authorities to shut down abortion so-called clinics or abortion businesses, abortion-related businesses. Coming from your, again, international and legal scholarship, are we, when we allow abortion and we declare it's a right, are we violating children's rights? Well, the the Convention on the Rights of the Child speaks about children's rights before and after birth. So it applies to both born and unborn children, and this isn't the preamble of the convention. So if the unborn child has a right to life, then yes, it violates children's rights. And that would be under the American Convention on Human Rights as well, which applies to Argentina because Argentina is a signatory that would also be a violation of the right to life in that convention, which explicitly the convention says applies from the moment of conception onwards, which would mean, and the convention says that the right to life should be protected in general, which would mean that states should give general broad protection and could only allow violations of the right to life exceptionally, right? So in this case, I think the law is just so overbroad that the exceptions are so broad that it makes, you know, it really is, it is not a general protection. The the protection of the unborn child under the Argentina law right now becomes exceptional rather than general. So the unborn is almost never protected and is basically abortion on demand is available. I think one of the biggest concerns with this law is that it allows for abortion of course, if on a teenager to be performed on a teenager without parental consent and parental consent can be substituted by consent of an adult who accompanies uh, the minor, which could lend itself to an actual rapist coming with the minor and inducing her to abort the child conceived in the crime. It also allows minors and women to 
simply sign an affidavit that they have been sexually assaulted and request an abortion that way without requiring a police investigation or even a police report. So what that does is it leaves the rape in complete impunity, right? It, it doesn't punish the rapist. It punishes the child, right? So the child can be aborted, but there's no guarantee that the rapist will be either investigated or prosecuted. There is one egregious thing. I know that the teen abortion could be vetoed by the president and like in some ways that article. And then another one that has been the object of discussion, which is the one on conscientious objection referred to the hospital, because if I am not mistaken, what the law provides is, oh, okay, so some facilities can refuse providing abortion, but they still have to pay for the transfer of the the woman, you know, that requests it to a, a facility that would actually. So I would like to ask you your take on this, on the concessions objection and its protection in international law. And also, if you don't mind to talk, since we're speaking mostly to an American audience here, they are very much used to abortion as a private service, like an, an, you know, an offer by a product that you buy from Planned Parenthood. Let's go to an abortion clinic. You have to pay for it. But if I'm not wrong, the case in Argentina is different. It would be paid by the state and it's a public service. Right. So on the medical conscience restrictions that you mentioned before, yes, the law is very likely to be challenged constitutionally on that front just because it's it's almost a wish list of the pro-abortion movement. You know, it forces doctors to provide abortions in multiple cases. So it allows exceptionally for a conscious objection, but only if there are other doctors who can perform abortions in that facility. And if there aren't, and let's say the woman is in immediate need of an abortion, whatever that may be, then that doctor is still legally be able to be forced to perform an abortion. Referrals are mandatory. Um, facilities must ensure that if the woman cannot or child cannot get an abortion there, she can get an abortion elsewhere. So it's extremely restrictive in terms of conscience rights, and it's very likely to be challenged there. And, and yes, it also provides for subsidies for abortion. And because Latin America in general, and I would say Argentina especially, is influenced by a great deal of just cultural Marxism in general. So the way people understand fundamental rights or human rights is when something is a human right, then the state has a duty to provide it for free, right? And to subsidize it or to provide the service directly for free. So abortion is likely to become that in exactly that in Argentina, just hours after the abortion vote by the Senate in Argentina, the international arm of Planned Parenthood, IPPF, and that means International Planned Parenthood Federation, the Western Hemisphere region office, boasted about having financed local organizations to legalize abortion in Argentina and said that they would now continue to cooperate in providing abortions in Argentina. So you can definitely see the economic interest on the part of some organizations that have been trying to get into Latin American countries and provide abortions for a long time or support organizations who provide abortions there. IPAS is another organization that provides abortions too, and they have been trying to get into 
the market legally. They have been providing abortions illegally for a long time in Latin America, but they have been trying to do so legally as well for some time. So this will open the door for those providers to start receiving public funds from the Argentinian government to provide those abortions. So yes, there's definitely a great deal of economic interest there, which is a big concern, I think, for those who care about protecting unborn children, because once there's a financial interest, then, of course, there's encouragement of abortion. Would you agree? So the comment has been made by some pro-life scholars that somehow it is better when the abortion market doesn't exist and only the state, you know, even if it's provided by the state, but it's only the state so that there is no, at least there is no profit. Would you agree that that is still a better solution than having private abortion clinics? Well, I guess that's the view that's the people saying that could be the people who have this very benign vision of the state as kind of a not-for-profit company, you know, with more transparency and paternal in a way towards its citizens. But in Latin America, the governments are very corrupt and there are many ways to make money off the government for individual citizens, especially those involved in politics. So the fact that the government is monopolizing the business is no guarantee that that it will be handled with transparency or honesty. Professor Castelli, you probably mentioned this at the beginning, but I would like you to say something more about it. What do you think is going to be the future in other Latin American and Caribbean countries on this same front? Well, what I've read in the press is that a lot of the mainstream press is saying, oh, well, this is going to open up legalization of abortion in all of Latin America. It's going to open the door for abortion legalization. And it's representative of a wave that will come over the rest of the continent. And even some pro-lifers have said that. I personally don't believe it because I think Argentina is a pretty unique case. It's kind of in many ways, and Agustin Laje, who's a philosopher from Argentina, said it, that in many ways Argentina is like a laboratory, you know, in Latin America, where same-sex marriage has been tried and now abortion has been tried. So I think that it's a very unique case. I don't think that it represents the rest of Latin America. I think this is a product of a very particular circumstance in time where, again, with the kind of government they have, COVID, whatnot. So I just think it's too radical for the rest of the region. I know that the, the president of Brazil made a statement after the Senate vote, and some governments are already saying that the Paraguayan uh, parliament held a minute of silence for the victims of abortion in Argentina, congressmen and congresswomen, and Paraguay spoke against the Argentinian vote, reaffirming Paraguay's pro-life stance. The bishops' conference in different conferences in different Latin American countries have spoken against the law in Argentina. So I don't think that it will necessarily spread. Can we say also that, you know, being in this new 2021 year, these laws can be overturned, they can be challenged in courts, and we can find for the rights, the prenatal rights that you've written so much about? That's right. So even in Argentina, only two years ago, the Senate voted against a similar law. So the margins are so narrow. I think this could be reversed in the future, even in Argentina, just because the law is so egregious. Knowing the region, I just know Latin America is very diverse. Argentina is, again, a country with a great deal of cultural Marxism, and it's in their education system. 
But not all countries think that way. Central American countries are very conservative. Other South American countries, you know, north of Argentina are also very conservative on this issue, especially, and also on same-sex marriage. So same-sex marriage is a good example because Argentina was the first. And now only two other countries out of 25 have legalized it. So it's not, it didn't spread like people thought it would, like wildfire, they said. It didn't really go that way because countries are still traditional and religiously conservative. Well, Professor, you certainly know a lot about Latin America and these issues in Latin America. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you recently published a very good book, Abortion in Latin America and in the Caribbean. What I would like to ask you now is if you can promise to our audience that you're going to come back and tell us about that book. And what I know is that tells us a lot about international law and the roles of international courts. And so it's an issue that also for an exclusively American audience is going to be extremely relevant. So would you promise that that we can have you back? I would be glad to come back. So thank you again, Professor Castaldi, for your time and for your knowledge. And thank you for being here. So we're going to wait for you till the next time. Thank you all for listening to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. Please share it with your friends. Please give us a five-star rating and please donate so we can do even more.